Ahoy! And welcome to the Sea Captain Way podcast with Phil Bender and Greg Patton, where we help listeners navigate the uncharted waters, personal and professional growth. The Sea Captain Way is about energizing top performers to take on risks and push beyond their comfort zone to pursue life-changing goals and achieve peak performance. We're going to help you build your vision by showing you how to break free of boundaries that are holding you back. So, Phil, I'm excited to welcome one of my people in agency creative onto the Sea Captain Way podcast today. Adam Knorr is a very talented young copywriter and the owner of Take Action Copy. I was introduced to Adam through our great friend, John Prospery, who's been a guest on the podcast. John and Adam were previously co-workers at an industry-leading financial services firm. Prost passed along Adam's name and contact information and said he was someone I should get to know because he was an emerging rock star as a copywriter. And man, was he right. Welcome, Adam. (laughs) Adam, good to have you. Gentlemen, I appreciate you having me here today. Just finished your book here, so the timing couldn't be any better. Oh, Oh, man. I'll tell you what. Way to start off strong. So, Adam, I think Phil is really going to enjoy our conversation today because you have embraced many of the core principles of Sea Captain Coaching at a very, very early stage of your career. You had a nice salary, a great place to live, and were positioned to get promoted to a higher paying role at the firm you were working in 2022. But you wanted to focus on your passion and utilize your writing talents to become a professional copywriter. Can you please share your story about leaving your job, starting your own business, and moving to Hawaii to pursue your passion for writing? Sure. As you can imagine, over the past year or so, I've told this story a few times, and I'm still working on whittling it down to the cliff notes. So I'll I'll do so as best as possible. (laughs) But in a roundabout way, so I studied journalism in school. That's my undergrad degree, something we somewhat have in common. I did my first semester of my freshman year at the University of Missouri at Mizzou in their J school, ended up transferring back to a smaller school here in Michigan. And anyways, long story short, I graduated with my degree and ended up going into finance. I did a 180 once I graduated. And I did quite well in finance, but this idea of pursuing a writing career never really left me, right? It was it was always in my head. And in the spring of 2022, I was on the cusp of a pretty big promotion. And I realized that if I got the job, I would be hitting a point where I'd be making so much money that I would have felt even more trapped than I already did in those golden handcuffs of finance. And it just so happened that around the time I was interviewing for that promotion, my brother and sister-in-law visited the Big Island of Hawaii on their anniversary. And they visited a a coffee farm there in Kona in Hawaii. And they found this program where you work 28 hours a week. The farm gives you room and board. And you get basically four days each week to explore the island or do whatever you want. And my brother knew I, I was looking to transition my career and possibly take a brief sabbatical. So he told me about this program. I laughed in his face and I said, there is no (laughs) way that I am going to do that. Thought about it a little bit more, called the farm. And it turns out it was the perfect opportunity for me because it basically gave me four days a week without costs of food and without costs of rent with a beautiful view in Hawaii to launch my business. So I essentially agreed to it, didn't think too much put in my two weeks notice. And the next morning I said, I'm a copywriter now. And that's the story. Wow. How about it? What a transition. And the nicest hotel I've ever been to is the Four Seasons at Kona. So uh, yes, that is a, it's built on a lava field. 
We actually did a lava walk. And so, Adam, I can see how that was appealing to you, hitting that opportunity. And so right away, we get into some of the themes. Risk, okay? Taking advantage of opportunity, you know, following passion. These are very cool things right away, Adam, that, again, I can see why you're here just for that. I can't wait to go further. You mentioned the very first blog post in your business website, how to change your life and that you took the Tim Ferriss fear exercise. In my coaching practice, I work with clients to get them to understand the importance of conquering fear, okay? The fear of the unknown, breaking feet free of pattern familiars to pursue their goals. Tell me a little bit about the Tim fear exercise and the impact that it had on you. Sure. So Tim Ferriss, he's a big name in the entrepreneur or, or content creator industry. He focuses a lot of his work, his books, his podcasts around lifestyle optimization and, and self-improvement mindset. So the Tim Ferriss fear exercise, which I'm not sure if I came up with that term or if that's a coined one already, but it, it basically says when you're making a major life decision, evaluate the worst case scenarios for each path and they might surprise you. So in practice, what it looked like for me, I had two paths, right? Path one, I stay in finance. I get that next promotion and I make more money than I ever dreamed of. Path two, I put in my two weeks, I throw myself into copywriting and I build a career that combines what I'm passionate about with my strongest talent. So if I evaluate the worst case scenarios for those two paths, path one, the worst case scenario, I stay in finance. I look back in 35 years and I always wonder what if, right? The worst case scenario for path two, I decide copywriting isn't for me. I fall back on my finance resume, I land another job, and it sets my career back a few years. So essentially, for me, the worst case scenario of always wondering ended up being a heck of a lot worse than the worst case scenario of setting my career back a couple of years. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, you, you sent some ripples through me just thinking about that because I, I reflected back on transitioning in my role out of the geography that I knew, which was St. Louis at one point. That was a fear exercise. I think about some of the regret I had not pursuing certain things athletically that, you know, I didn't go as far as somebody said to me, Phil, it's time for you to stop. I chose to, you know, get off the train and I always and in business, I never I told myself I'll never do that. So this is interesting that you're at this young age making these type having this awareness and making that kind of decision. Very cool. Yeah, it's super, super impressive. I'm not hard the way I, I'm not a risk taker by nature. I need the the burning platform, whatever the firemen use. So I uh, I started Tradewind Marketing uh, a couple of years ago, and it really took Phil kind of pumping me up and believing me in me and letting me know you know you can do this uh, to do it. But man, I give you I give you props for jumping in. I'm sure your your coworkers were looking at your pictures in Hawaii on LinkedIn that I saw and thinking uh, thinking they might want to join you. Yeah, right. So I subscribed to your email newsletter, and you had a great article about a 17 mile trail run that you took that you said you turned into an 18 mile run because you took a wrong turn. (laughs) (laughs) And you mentioned that the people in the race kept yelling something to the other runners that made a big difference in improving your performance. Can you tell us what happened in that race? Yeah. Thanks for reminding me about that wrong turn. It was an extra (laughs) mile that ended up being an extra four hours of recovery on the couch. Oh no. That one stuck with me, I promise. So so yeah, I I did a a long trail run through the woods, which is not in my nature, but that's a different story entirely. But 
So as you're going, right, people pass you and you pass other people. And 100% of the time, when I passed somebody else, they would absentmindedly throw out two words. It would say, good job, right? And it's one of those things that in that moment, people don't even think about saying, right? Half the time, they throw it out in kind of a a half breath as you're running by. It's an absent-minded comment, but you know what? It actually made a difference, right? So I started kind of thinking about that and, and why do those two words, good job, make such an impact when you're out there running or, or running your business, whatever it may be. And my reading led me into you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We've all seen that pyramid. I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. And the hierarchy of needs, you know, starts with physiological things, breathing, food, shelter, right? Safety, security. And if you get down towards the bottom of the hierarchy, the fourth rung is esteem. And in that esteem is respect of others, right? Recognition, things like that. And I basically realized that recognition is a genuine human need. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I think, you know, from a leadership perspective, all people want is to be loved and to be openly admired. Those are genuine, basic human needs. And since then, I've essentially made it a challenge to myself, right? If I see something I like or admire about somebody else, I challenge myself to say it. To me, it's the lowest cost of entry way to have an outsized impact on somebody's day that will ever exist. Oh, that's cool. And so as you're going through that, you have to be aware. Of course, you're you're processing a lot of pain, you're processing, and yet that is a pick-me-up. It's like an adrenaline shot to you as you were going through that. But what a great message to people that it does matter. Greg, when I, in my insurance career, everybody would have, at some point, you're inevitable, you're going to have a death claim if you're in the life insurance field, okay? And whenever somebody would share it, it would move them the first time because they just weren't ready for that type of impact. The first thing that I say to them after they explain and tell the story is I say, great job. And then I say it again. I said, no, I mean, great job. You did your job. And that is always meaningful to them that somebody recognizes to Adam's point when they pass by you or when they achieve or when they do the right thing. That's cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. I'm impressed you brought the Maslow's hierarchy of needs doesn't come up in a lot of everyday conversations, but I know uh, the Starbucks business model that was baked into it. And they called uh, the guys that Howard Schultz and the marketing team that worked on, they, they said they referred to it as like a third place, you know, housework. And they said, people need a place where they feel like they belong. And that it's when you get down to that level of connection, it's Good things happen. Yeah, and the and the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I'm sure I missed that day of school when they went through it, but <laughs> I did learn it over time. Greg used to have to wake me up for class back then. But uh, so uh, you mentioned that your dad was a professional copywriter, and you wanted to be a copywriter since you were ten years old. So that's an interesting twist, right? What did you learn by watching your dad work, and what kind of advice do you give about communicating effectively as a professional writer? That's a great question. I think, you know, from watching my dad, who who was the original work from home, right? He was a freelance copywriter. So growing up, I always saw him in his office. And what I learned is that you must, under all circumstances, take a break to shoot a game of pool at about two o'clock every single afternoon. It's crucial for the creative juices. No, that's a joke. (laughs) 
But I, I think I, I actually learned the opposite, right? As a kid, I learned that self-employment requires a heck of a lot of work ethic and a tremendous amount of discipline. Both of my parents, my dad and my mom, were both self-employed. I saw them both get to work at 5 a.m. And today, I find myself firing up my computer at 5 a.m. because it's what I saw. But I also learned that work was worth it, right? Because my dad coached my little league teams and my mom was at all my games and they were always able to shoot hoops in the driveway or, or be home to read a book for me at night. And and that's a little bit sappy, but it's true, right? And that's what I learned from watching him work. Now, the second part of that question you ask about, you know, communicating effectively as a professional writer. And I think the easiest way to sum up his general thesis that I've taken over in my practice is that quite simply, you should always write how you talk, right? I think for a lot of people in the business world, especially these higher knowledge industries like finance, law, technology, there's this belief that people respect smart people. So when we communicate, we should sound smart. And oftentimes people think that the best way to sound smart is by using these big three syllable words. And so when you start to look closely at business writing, and I know you guys talk about some of this in the sea captain way too, you'll see right? The same regurgitation of the same words and phrases. Everybody is holistic. Everybody is innovative. Everybody is unique. But if everybody is unique, doesn't that defeat the entire purpose of being unique to begin with, right? Or everybody's committed to or passionate about or dedicated to, right? The, the best communication keeps it short, keeps it simple, keeps it conversational. It's like you talking to your buddy at a bar is how I try to write. Yeah. Boy, you cr- that's exa- man, that is so spot on. My first, I get to give a shout out to my boss, my old boss, Jeff Zeiss. He taught me so much about writing and effective communications. And I, when I was a young copywriter, I was in financial services writing. I was trying to sound smart. I would stiffen up and use, you know, kind of high level language. And I would go get, put my copy in his tray. He would call me in, he would read it out loud to me, and then he would throw it across the desk. And he said, you would never talk to someone like that. That's not how you would, you know, invite somebody to a conference. You'd say, you know, <clears throat> informally, and that, that's a better way to connect. And the second point that he made that just really stuck with me is he said, people think communication takes place when a message is sent. And he said, communication does not take place until the message is received. And that is important for you to understand. And I was like, well, you know, I had to go sit down in my office for a minute, let it sink in. But yeah, he was, he had a big influence on my career and it, it sounds like your dad was a a very talented uh, writer as well. So that's awesome. The prodigy. Yeah, right. Well, that's cool. And so uh, what else are we talking about today, Greg? We kind of teed this up. I got a follow on to the previous. So Adam is two copywriters on a podcast. I think we're, uh, we're obligated to talk about chat GPT and, you know, some of the rise of these other <laughs> AI platforms. Right. Here we go. Uh, here uh, we go. You know, we've seen the stories about the writers and the artists who've been dropped in favor of AI as more of this art is being created by algorithms. Uh, what are your thoughts about this? And what do you think are some of the, the biggest weaknesses of this AI approach to writing? Sure. A lot of thoughts there. A lot of thoughts. <laughs> Keep it I concise. I bet. You know, in some capacity, AI is here to stay, right? And, and as a creative, as somebody in the content creation industry, I'm, I'm fine with that. 
right? I've heard it described as the first time a chainsaw was given to a lumberjack, right? That chainsaw wasn't going to put lumberjacks out of business, but the lumberjacks who learned how to use the chainsaw sure would, right? So from a creative perspective, I think you do need to adapt to it. You need to make it a part of your toolkit. But but the question about AI in the creation of art is, is something that I find really interesting. You know, first, I, I don't think AI should or will replace human art. If you look into history, Art is quite literally the first form of human expression, right? We have cave drawings dating back 64,000 years ago. At its core, creation is a, is a human instinct. And, and even as AI changes the face of creation, you know, as long as we aren't cyborgs, we will always have that need and that drive to create. And the second thing I think about a lot is, is this idea of authenticity, you know, as, as AI art and chat GPT and, and mid journey or, or whatever it is get popular, the value of authenticity will skyrocket, right? As AI continues to expand, authenticity will become currency. You guys are, are finance guys. So, you know, the scarcer something becomes, the more valuable it becomes. My basic belief is that, you know, great human art might become more scarce which will only make the people that can create that art more valuable. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Boy, how insightful is that? Yeah, yeah. So my t- one of my takes on of, of, of these AI tools is that it seems like it's allowing people to regurgitate, you know, existing content back. And I know recent changes at, at Google prioritizes content that has an expert opinion and you know, strong point of view. And I know a lot of my clients will say we want to, for the content they want to put out, they want to be considered thought leaders. So I don't think any thought leadership is going to come out of uh, recycled content. I loved your analogy about the chainsaw. I had somebody early in my copywriter career saying, told me about selling benefits. And he said, people, are, people aren't buying three-inch drill bits. They're buying three-inch holes. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, right. So moving on. And this is an interesting question. I'm very, very curious about your thoughts around this. But you you had an attention-getting quote as a lead into one of your pieces. The definition of hell is the place where the person you became meets the person you could have become. I'll repeat that. The definition of hell is the place where the person you became meets the person you could have become. The key takeaway is the need to bet on yourself and take outsized risk, outsized risk to achieve outsized rewards. Let's talk about that for a minute. Really, Phil, that, that, that's, that quote right there is essentially the driving force behind all the decisions I've made over the past 15 months or so. This decision to uproot my life and switch my career and move to Hawaii. It's essentially the question of what am I capable of, right? And I think we, we've all asked that at some point. And I think for most of us, you can't really find the answer unless you go out on your own and force yourself to figure it out. I think hitting whatever ceiling you have for yourself requires taking risks. You know, over the course of history, you you generally don't know the people who played it safe. And there's obviously a little bit of survivorship bias there and, and not every single risk works out. And my goal isn't fame, but the point is that we're all going to die at some point, right? And I figure you might as well discover what you're capable of while you're here. And I think for everybody that doesn't have to be something drastic, I think for me, it just so happened that I had a a career aspiration that I felt I was quite well suited to. But I think it's different for everybody else, whether it's professional or or personal or relationship-wise. 
sometimes you do have to step out and you have to take risks to figure out what you're truly capable of. And you only get one shot at this thing, so you might as well go ahead and do it. Yeah, that's so well said. And I could not agree more. You know, the things that I've learned, I can't say that at, you know, 2930 that I had that sense of clarity, but I was possessed with a vision for what I wanted. Vision came first, core values came second. That was when I had achieved the vision that I set out and I couldn't figure out what to do next. So the core values about getting clear with self and then the next risk, right? Here it comes again, moving to the unlimited weight class of New York City in that market. And then here it comes again, the risk of starting a a coaching brand when I could have easily worked on my golf swing, Adam Knorr. And so here we are, right? So Greg, let's let's put a bow on this. What else you got? Yeah, inspirational, Adam. So it was. Uh, it's like I heard Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters say, if you want to do something, man, do it. If you want to be in a band... Just start playing that you're going to suck and no one's going to come see you. And it's, you know, you're going to be playing a bunch of basements, but you're going to get better. And, you know, you're, you're mastered. And if you've got the passion for it, you can do it. So really cool to have somebody with your energy and uh, erudite outlook on the show. I have to check up on your reading list on your website. So how do people that want to work with you get in touch with you, Adam, to let you work some of your magic, you know, for their company or their organization? Yeah, good question. Sure. The two best places to find me are first on LinkedIn, which is essentially my resume nowadays. So on LinkedIn, my first name, Adam, and my last name, Noor, which is K-N-O-R-R, like the soup. No relation or I would not be in copywriting. Uh, The second place to find me is just check out my website, which is www.takeactioncopy.com. Those are the two best locations for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a a copywriter and you do ghostwriting and you're, you're a writing coach. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. So copywriting for all sorts of businesses, finance, business, tech, you name it, websites, brochures, emails, ghostwriting, oftentimes on LinkedIn for busy founders or CEOs who don't have the time to create their own content. And then writing coaches, right? Some folks uh, genuinely do enjoy the pursuit of writing, but simply don't have enough time to sit down and analyze and tweak and figure out what makes them better. I spend time with clients just to go over existing materials, make some easy changes and and help you get better without spending too much time to do it. Perfect. All All right. right. Thanks so much, Adam. Adam. Great stuff. Thank you. We'd love to have you back on another time, maybe after uh, the next risk. How about that? Thanks so much. (laughs) We'll keep you posted. Yeah. Thanks so much for being with us and say hello to the lava for me while you're out there. Okay. (laughs) Take care. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Sea Captain Way podcast. If you found the conversation valuable, please like, share, and post a review on your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Sea Captain Coaching and how you can start taking advantage of our purpose-driven coaching guidance, visit us at seacaptaincoaching.com and get the Sea Captain view on navigating uncharted waters of growth. The link is in the show notes. You can also follow us at Sea Captain Coaching on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Wishing you fair winds and a following sea on your journey. 